0: The following audio is from Cross Life Church in Tampa, Florida. We are a church that exists to help people find Christ, their place in the body, and their mission to the world. Our calling is to raise leaders and plant churches. So if you live in the Hudson area or near West Chapel, you can also check us out at one of our other locations. For more information, visit us at crosslife.net. All right. so we've been uh, walking through... Uh, prophecy and end time events. And I was thinking the other day, uh, you know, sometimes people just think, uh uh-oh, end times, you know, just doom and gloom. But really, it's really God setting the world right again. And I got to thinking, you know, in in Genesis 1, where it says, in the beginning, God created. And you can just know that toward the end, it's not really an end, it's a beginning, because God is going to recreate again. And so we have so much to look forward to as believers. Now there's just a few few things about this, about God setting the world right again. I'm, I'm always, it's always interesting to get into conversations with people that don't know anything about the scriptures. They have no idea about life they have no ideas as far as the origins of things they have no idea about God and who he is and so they get all kinds of things going on and you'll start speaking to them about stuff and they have all their opinions about it but I can just tell you right now there's a few things that if you are familiar with the scriptures that you just can't get away from and that is that there is going to be a judgment on all that oppose God, Satan and all who follow him, that's going to happen. There's going to be the rescue of God's people. That's going to happen, and there is God is going to fully establish His everlasting kingdom. That is going to happen. And you know, it's interesting. Uh, people can deny it. I was talking to somebody here about a month ago, and they were arguing uh, the fact about uh, Israel and who Israel was and. Uh, the idea that God is going to reestablish this nation to the point that they're going to own the lands that He promised them, and they're going—that's just never going to happen. I go, okay, well, hang on, because you're going to see it with your own eyes, right? So there's a lot that God said is going to take place, and we've so we've walked through some big events. And this morning, this is what I want to do. I want to talk briefly about the rapture of the church, and so I want to talk about what is it, when's it happen, and so. This is fun, because there's a lot of speculation out there, but you know, the, we know that the word "rapture is not in our English Bibles. it's a Latin term. It's a Latin word, And the word means a carrying off or a transport or a snatching away. Our English translations use the word to find this word, Greek word "harpazo" to mean to catch up." So we, we see that in First Thessalonians chapter four, verse 17 it says that we will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, talking about the believers, and we're going to look at that a little bit more. But I think I mentioned this last week, but I kind of want to back up to it once again. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. He told them, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going to prepare a place for you. Then he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that where I am, there you may be also. So where did Jesus go and where has Jesus taken us to? So he's in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. He's going to come get us, and he's going to take us to heaven. That is going to happen. There's speculations about when that's going to happen. So we, the born again, we, those who have trusted in Christ, this is literally going to happen. At some point, we're going to be in heaven with Jesus before we come back to the earth at his second coming. And so 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 through 18 say this, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. Now just context, so um, <clears throat> the, the, the New Testament church, they were so anticipating Jesus to come at any moment and take him to heaven. What had happened in a period of time is some of the saints had died, and they're going, whoa, whoa, they're dead now. They're not going to be able to go. And he's going, no, no, that's. I don't want you to be informed about those who are asleep in death. So that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind. It's not you're dead and you're done. And, and because they have no hope. See, we, verse 14, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him, those who have died, according to the Lord's words. According to the Lord's words, we tell you that we who are still alive and who are left into the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Verse 16, for the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Now this is, you need to be specific about this. These are the believers. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will ever be with the Lord. So encourage one another with those words. So in this context of these verses, Paul's talking about the catching up of believers. Those who are dead and those who are still alive when Jesus comes to get them. Now, I like this because um, there's 11 mysteries in the Bible, and I don't know, I can't name them all, but the mystery of God, the mystery of godliness, the mystery of Christ, the mystery of us in Christ. One of them is called the mystery... This mystery of his coming, of catching us up. And so in the context, the doctrine of rapture isn't taught in the Old Testament. You're not going to find this. You'll find the, the, the teaching in the Old Testament about the second coming, but it doesn't reveal in the Old Testament about the rapture, the rapture of the believer, the rapture of the church. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, he calls this a mystery. Something that had been hidden, but now has been revealed. And so, then we have to ask ourselves, so really, what is this really going to look like? And I think that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul goes on to explain a little bit further what this is going to look like. What do you mean we're just going to get caught up to heaven? What's that going to look like? And so he begins a conversation in 1 Corinthians 15, 35. He says, you know, there's some going to ask the question, well, how is that, what's that going to look like? How are the dead, how are the dead going to be raised? What's that going to look like? And what kind of bodies are they going to have? How's that work? And he said in verse 40 of 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm just going to kind of go through this. He says, well, first of all, you need to know there's heavenly bodies and there's earthly bodies. And the splendor of the heavenly body does, is of one kind, and the splendor of the earthly body is another. Verse 42 says, So it will be in the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable will be raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, but it will be raised in glory. It will be sown in weakness, but it will be raised in power. It was sown a natural body, but it will be raised a spiritual body. So going to, what's that going to look like? Well, how, how can this body go to heaven? And he's going, well, it's not going to be that body. You're going to have a new body. It's going to be a spiritual body. Then he goes on to say, there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. But the last man, Adam, is a life-giving spirit. Talking about Adam, talking about Jesus. Says the spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was from the dust of the earth, and the second man is from heaven. Now verse 48, he says, as was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so are those who are from heaven. And he's talking about the believers. So you have the old man and you have the new man. And it says in verse 49, and just as we have been born in the image of the earthly, which we are, we've been born after the image of God, we've been born naturally, we've been born in this human body, and we bear that image. But he says, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly. So when this resurrection takes place, when this rapture takes place, we're going to have new bodies. And then Paul goes on to say it in verse 50. He says, now I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable verse 51. Now listen, I'm going to tell you this mystery. We will not all sleep. We are not all going to die, but we will all be changed. And he's talking to the believers. He said, look, we're, we we, not all of us are going to die. There's going to be a point when Jesus comes and calls, whenever that point in time is, there'll be those believers in Christ. And this is important to know those in Christ, old Testament believers, not at that time, but at this point in time, those who have believed in Christ and are dead, they'll be raised from the grave, from the dust of the earth. And then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with him. And he says it this way, it's, it's a mystery. But we aren't all going to sleep, we're all going to be changed in, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trump will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal will put on immortality. We are living right now in this idea of we're living in eternity. As believers, our body is going to be changed, and we're going to be spiritual creatures. I I look. He says it's a mystery, and he's telling us in part what that's going to look like, but how many of us can go, okay? I'm gonna be changed in a moment and twinkling in my eyes, so really what I'm gonna look like? Is my body gonna be like translucent? Am I gonna be able to walk through walls? What's that? And he's not revealing all the details, but he's saying, look, don't, don't worry about this because God's gonna do what God does. God's gonna change us. And it's gonna be in the moment of the twinkling eye at the last Trumpet will be raised, imperishable. We will be changed because the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with mortality. And then, verse fifty-four says, "When that takes place, the the truth of the idea that death has been swallowed up in victory will just be in front of us. Will it'll be that moment?" How many of you, I don't know for you, but for me, I've, I've imagined it a thousand times what that's going to be like. One day we're here in a, in a twinkling of an eye, we're gone, and we meet the Lord in the clouds in the air. Can you, imagine, can you just picture that in your head. What would that look like? To all, if it were to happen in this moment, all of a sudden, we're caught up and we're going, whoa! Uh, 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 uh. In our minds, in our hearts, are going to be busting with, It was true. It was all true, and so we have this forward. We have this to look forward to, and you know, as I've been re re uh, going through lots of prophecy through the Book of Revelations, through Ezekiel, through Daniel, uh, through Zechariah, and I've been piecing this all together in my head to just kind of have this lineal view of it and a big idea picture. You know, there's a, just a lot of speculation of when this is going to take place. You know, they say, well, the last trumpet is when this happens. and But, but here, here's what I want us to consider just for a minute. The word, here, two things. First of all, this word last, this Greek word last, it can mean two things. Last in the point of time. And it can mean last in the point of sequence. So a lot of people say, well, the last trumpet is the seventh trumpet in the trumpets that are in the book of Revelations and Revelations chapter 11. Whether it is or not, can't tell you. But here's what I know about the catching up. There's going to be several things happen. There's going to be a voice. There's going to be a command. There's going to be a trumpet. You read through Revelations, I think it's five times in Revelations that the word trumpet is used as a voice and so I'm not, I'm not pinning a lot of stuff down, but I want us to consider something about this. When Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians, and he wrote 1 Corinthians, Revelations was not written. So there's no way Paul is referring to John's letter of the Revelation, So what is Paul talking about? Paul is trying to give a context of this event that's going to take place and what that event is going to look like. So the idea then is when is the rapture going to take place? Now I think you probably all know this, but there's three primary views. It's going to happen before the tribulation begins, the seven years of tribulation. It's going to happen in the middle of the tribulation. That's why some say in Revelation 5, the last trumpet was blown in the middle of the uh, seven years of tribulation. So that's when it's all going to happen. And then there are those that think it's going to have to happen after the tribulation occurs. Well, let me just reiterate this again. We have concerning end time events, if they were all perfectly clear, then all the theologians who study it deeply would come to the same conclusion. Does that make sense? If it's really clear, if it's that clear, if everything is so clear, so positively clear, why are there so many disagreements about it all? Why is it that some think here and some think here and some think here? And, and I can just tell you for this um, you know, I can agree and disagree with a lot of different things in there. You know, somebody's talking to me and going, well, okay, I guess if you look at it that way and you kind of spiritualize it, I can see this way. But if you look at that and you take it literally for that, I understand from that verse how you can get that. But there's these verses over here that are a little fuzzy to make sense with that, right? And so here's what I want us to think through. For me, I have agreed with myself. I have agreed with myself that some of these things that are going to take place are probably going to look different than we think. And exactly how that's going to look different, I don't really know. And when you think about the book of Revelations, Revelation, it deals primarily with the time period of the tribulation. It's a prophetic message. It's a foretelling ahead of the things that are going to take place about how God is going to pour out His wrath upon the earth and judge the wicked, purge evil from the world, deliver and vindicate His chosen people, and fully, fully establish His kingdom. That's what the book of Revelations has to deal with. And so, here's my challenge to you. I think it is for us to read, to study, to think, and to pray through for ourselves as you're reading through it is the church. See, if I, if I came up here and I just was hard on any one of those, there are, sometimes you read verses, and I read, I've been reading verses, I've been going, okay, well, all right. And then I go over here, and I look at that, and then I go over here and look at this, and then I go over here and look at this. I go, okay, I'm trying to get all this sorted out, you know, just for myself. Here's, what, here's the win that we need to grab out of all of it. God's going to come and grab His people, and we're going to be with Him. And we're going to be with Him for eternity. And when He grabs us, we're going to be changed in a moment, in a twinkle of an eye. That's all good stuff, right? So, here's, uh, here's what we need to think through. Is the church going to suffer through any part of God's judgment on the world? You know, there's a lot of things that say we're going to escape the day of wrath, the hour of the wrath, the Lord's day, tribulation. And, you know, all those things can have a varied context of meaning, right? So when somebody says, well, I think that maybe we're going to suffer a little bit and then God's going to take us out. I, okay, so I have my personal opinion about this. You know, I believe that God is going to come and he's going to rescue us for all this starts. That's me personally. I can't imagine in my mind how we would be adorned as the bride of Christ and we'd have to suffer The same thing that the wicked are going to suffer. And then you have people say, well, Israel, they're in the wilderness, uh, or they're in Egypt, and the ten plagues came, and they had to walk through three of them before God separated them out. I'm going, okay, that's a good thought. Yeah, I like that. Here's something I would, here's here's a kind of a homework assignment if you've never done this. So there is a movie called um, The Wrath to Come. And you can get it on Netflix, you get it on YouTube, it's free everywhere. And it is interesting because it is a kind of a movie documentary type, I guess I would call it. And it's about, um, it's all about a Galilean wedding. And that's significant in this respect. So Jesus is a Galilean. All of his disciples but one, Judas, wore Galileans. Jesus is telling the disciples about, he's, he's comparing the wedding to his return. And there's this correspondedness. Now, Galilean wedding back in the day was very different than regular weddings. And so this, The Wrath to Come, this movie, it's appropriate for all ages, it, it, it shows a Galilean wedding and the stages and events that take place in the Galilean wedding. And then interspersed between it, there are theologians talking about key significant pieces. And so when I looked at that again, you know, I went, hmm, that's really something to consider. So if you have a, I don't know, it's probably 90 minutes long, but if you have the opportunity, it's a great It's a great thing to look at to kind of give some perspective. Okay, so rapture. So some people think that the rapture and the second coming are the same thing, but they aren't. They're different because the rapture of the church is when Jesus Christ returns to remove the church from the earth, believers from the earth believers who have died will their their bodies will be resurrected along with the dead and the living alike and we will meet the lord in the air and again first corinthians chapter 15 states that's just going to be in a moment and a twinkle of an eye but the second coming when jesus comes is when jesus returns with his saints to defeat the antichrist to destroy evil and establishes his eternal kingdom there were two different things So the catching up is the church being rescued, pulled out. We meet the Lord in the air. In my mind, there are a lot of scenarios that take place there. Uh, There's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's going to be the judgment seat of Christ. And so there's a lot of things that are going to be taking place. Some think that it's going to happen at the end. We're going to be caught up, eat up, saddle up, and come back. And, you know, again... um, I'm sure that just as I'm standing here, I'm going to go, didn't see that coming. Didn't see that coming either. So I think that's why I'm, as we're in this, take away the big piece, God's got this. But also don't be, uh, don't just push it off to the side. Matter of fact, the book of Revelation says if you read through it, you'll be blessed. It's a blessing to read through because somehow, someway, God speaks into our life through that. And for me, reading through Revelations, as many times as I have, although there's sometimes I scratch my head and go, what is, what is that again? I go back and I go back and forth. As I go through it, it, it affirms to me that God wrote something to let me know that He has everything under control and it's going to roll out the way that He said. I like that. So, uh, and I think it's important to determine the differences. So, at the rapture, believers meet the Lord in the air. At the second coming, and it's very distinct, in Revelation, I think it's chapter what is it, uh, 19, 19. I'm trying to remember the, the verses specifically talking about him the second coming. But at the rapture, we meet the Lord in the air. And at the second coming, believers are already with the Lord, and they return to the Lord to earth. So, the rapture is, again, the removal of believers from the earth as an act of deliverance. The second coming has to do with an act of judgment on the wicked and the removal of the wicked from God's presence. So they, they can't be the same thing. The rapture is going to be secret, instantaneous, like a thief in the night. It's going to happen in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. And When that happens, only the believers, that's part for the believers, we're going to see him. At the second coming, remember what it says? It says, and every eye will see him. So those are not the two same, those are not the same things. And the second coming of Christ will not occur until other end time events take place but the rapture is imminent. So if we were to count down some of the things before, the sec, before his second coming, we, I can number probably five or six things that are going to have to occur before that happens. Well, if, I, I was talking to somebody the other day, I thought, that's kind of crazy. If, if, there's, if, if the scriptures are pretty clear that there's going to be a tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to uh, sit on the throne calling himself God... Uh, There is going to be all this, uh, however you interpret all of it, stars falling from the sky, a third of the people dead, uh, seas and water. So I haven't seen that stuff to this point. And so there's all these things that are going to have to take place before he comes again. And if the rapture is just imminent, if it's at any moment, then really the rapture can't occur until these things take place. And some would say, well, actually they have, but we just haven't seen it. And I, well, whatever. Um, you know, I'm not, again, I'm not going to, that's not what I'm going to lose my head over, right? Somebody comes to me, they got a gun, they go, hey, you need to deny premillennialism, uh, premillennialism, or I'm going to blow your head off. And I go, dude, I'm not that caught up on there. But if they go, Deny Jesus, or you get a bullet in the head. Oh, you might as well pull the trigger, because I am not doing that. That is not going to happen. So there's some things that, you know, we, we need to just not argue about certain things, but come to some conclusions. Father, what are you saying to me? What just Bring some peace into my life. And so, anyway, uh, let's see. Yeah, so again, the thought is if the rapture and the second coming are the same event, then to me the return of Christ can't be imminent. It can't happen at any moment. Because there's too many other things that have to happen before that happens before Christ comes back to earth literally to destroy evil and evil forces. There's just, you know, and and somebody it's like why would why would Jesus can't imagine this. Why would Paul, why would the writers write that it can happen at any time if it's not going to happen at any time? Is it just so that we serve him? Now that's manipulative and that's not, that's not God, that's not Christ. And so what I want us to be encouraged about this morning is these events are going to take place and whether we understand them fully and look at, I've been doing this for a lot of ta- long time and I still read through passage and I go, huh, all right, well, huh, but do this, uh, settle within yourself, pray, study, read, and say, okay Father, I, and I, I candidly, I think a lot of times on a lot of situations, like Scott's had made comment of, he says, okay, I, I don't get this because, you know, I've been suffering with this, and God, you're a healer, and it, my life should all be good, but yet he has learned Grace. And so there's some things that we will be uncomfortable with. Some stuff we just, it's going to be hard to put together and just stay together. Because some things I've believed in the past, and I've kind of let loose of some of those things. But as I continue to pray, as I continue to grow, I continue to have confidence that God's got this. Even if I don't understand it, it's okay sometimes not to understand. But here's what I do know. If you keep going to him, he's going to do one of two things and it'll be very vivid. He goes, it's okay. And you have a sense of peace. Or he'll go, oh, you want to know about that? Well, here's what that is. And we've all experienced both those in life and we will continue to experience both in life. But we do serve a God who has steadfast love and whose mercies endure forever. He loves us with an everlasting love. He's promised certain things to us. He's going to fulfill those things he's promised all the way to the end of the age. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for the testimonies this morning about people. The bottom line of all of it is that you have been in their life and you've been helping them in their life and you've been blessing them in their life. And that's the God that you are. It's what you're going to continue to do. So as we are leaving here and we're walking into this next week and we're walking into Thanksgiving, help the things that we heard today, that we've spoken and that we've heard, be alive in our life with gratefulness of heart towards you in Jesus' name. Amen.